17. And uh, we'll pick it up in verse 24. We, are in, uh, we looked at this the account previous to this last week, if you weren't here, Matthew 17, uh, 14 down through 23, although I think we were in the book of Mark. The account is in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But today, the miracle we're looking at is only found here in the Gospel of Matthew. And it happens right after last week's lesson. And um, for you, those of you who are fishermen, it's kind of a fish story. But really the fish part of it sometimes is emphasized. And really it's not about so much the fish and the coin and the fish's mouth. But we'll see some things that, uh, that the Lord teaches us here, uh, I hope. So let's read this and then I'll have a short word of prayer. The Bible says, beginning in verse 24 of Matthew 17, And when they were come to Capernaum, they that received tribute money came to Peter and said, Doth not your master pay tribute? And he saith, Yes. And when he was come into the house, Jesus prevented him, saying, What thinkest thou, Simon? Of whom do the kings of the earth take custom or tribute? Of their own children or of strangers? And Peter saith unto him, Of strangers. And Jesus saith unto him, Then are the children free. Notwithstanding, lest we should offend them, go thou to the sea, and cast an hook, and take up the fish that first cometh up, and when thou hast opened his mouth, thou shalt find a piece of money that take and give unto them for me and thee. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the opportunity this morning to gather, and we ask that you'd guide and direct us and teach us. This morning, Holy Spirit, we pray that um, our hearts would be open, that we could uh, just block out the cares of uh, this day or the cares of the week ahead or the week behind, and just for these next several minutes, um, focus on you and allow you to speak to our hearts. Lord, as always, we're thankful for your goodness to us. We need to be always thankful for your mercy and for your grace. Just bless our day today, whether it's the Sunday school lesson upstairs for the adults or the teen class, the other classes that are taking place, be with each of the teachers and the students. Then the morning worship service, we pray that you'd bless that in a great way. Uh, bless the junior church hour as well. And uh, thank you again, Lord, for who you are and uh, for the gift of eternal life that we have through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. We ask it in his name. Amen. So for those of you that are fishing, this would be quite an experience. You know, you go fishing and you pull up a fish and inside of the fish there's a coin in the fish. And uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that later because really the account here is not so much about the fish and the coin. Um, but uh, some other things that I think Jesus will teach us. So anyhow, if you notice this, they come to, they're in Capernaum. Capernaum is on the northern part of the Sea of Galilee. And uh, that's kind of where their base of operation was at the time. And if you ever go to Israel, um, you'll get on a ship. Uh, um, I forgot where you get on that ship. Um, and they'll take you across the Sea of Galilee and you end up in Capernaum. And um, anybody remember what town that ship, ship leaves from? It's right at... I, Oh, it's right on the tip of my, right on the tip of my brain. But uh, anyhow, it's a great, great trip along the Sea of Galilee, and uh, you go to Capernaum, and there's a museum there now. And, but that's this is where Jesus is 
um, base of operation was is where he preached the Sermon on, on the Mount. And uh, there's a natural amphitheater there where you could stand down at the sea and the hills come right down to the sea. So it'd be, you, know, you read the accounts of the multitudes that are there. And when Jesus preaches, they would be able to hear him uh, clearly. And it's a be- beautiful part of Israel. We were there in the spring and um, everything was in bloom. And it was very, very pretty area. It's up kind of in a mountainous area. And uh, so this is where this takes place. So the Bible says here that uh, there's some folks there that uh, they ask Peter this. Oh, this is where Peter's from. This is Peter's hometown as well. And probably Jesus stayed in, in Peter's house when, when he was there. Um, but they ask this question that... Um, that they raise this question, and they ask this to Peter, and Jesus is not there. Now, um, I always, I kind of read this, and I kind of chuckled a little bit, because they, Peter answers for Jesus. And, uh, you know, that's a pretty tall order when you answer for the Lord. They ask about the Lord. Does, does Jesus, are asking, does he pay tribute money? And, and Peter says, well, yeah, of course he pays tribute money. Peter, I don't even know if he thought about it. He probably, that was Peter. He's very impulsive. But uh, yeah, he pays tribute money. So what is this tribute money? That's the first thing we've got to figure out here. What is this that they're talking about? So if you notice on your handout, the tribute money or the money that's referred to, this is not a civil tax that would be owed, but rather it's a temple payment that finds its origin in Exodus chapter 30. So go ahead and turn back to the book of Exodus chapter 30. And let's see this is all, what this is all about. So by the time Jesus uh, does this, this has been being paid out by the Jewish people yearly for thousands of years. And it's part of their custom, part of their upbringing, part of what you're going to see, the support of, at first would be the tabernacle, and then it would be the temple. So there's some interesting things here with regards to it. Verse 11 of chapter 30. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, When thou takest the sum of the children of Israel after their number, then shall they give every man a ransom for his soul unto the Lord. When thou numberest them, and there be no plague among them, when thou numberest them. This they shall give, every one that passes among them that are numbered, half a shekel after a shekel of the sanctuary. A shekel is twenty giras. A half shekel shall be an offering of the Lord. And every one that passeth among them that are numbered from twenty years old and above shall give an offering unto the Lord. Now look at this verse 15. So the rich shall not give more, and the poor shall not give less than half a shekel. So in other words, it didn't matter whether you were wealthy or whether you were poor, everybody gave the same, and it wasn't a lot. This isn't a great amount. Uh, and so poor people would have the ability to pay this. But it was meant for everyone to understand that they had a responsibility to support the t- what would first be the tabernacle, and then what would be the temple afterwards. And then it goes on and it says this. Um, 
when they give an offering unto the Lord to make an atonement for your souls. And thou shalt take the atonement money for the children of Israel and shall appoint it for the service of the tabernacle of the congregation that it may be a memorial unto the children of Israel before the Lord to make an atonement for your souls. So this is the tribute money. You can go back to Matthew chapter number 17. This is the tribute money that they're referring to here. And um, so the idea of it, beginning with Moses, was that you owed your life to the Lord. That your, that your soul was in His hands. And if you were going to go to the, uh, into the tabernacle or to the temple, uh, eventually then you would support the work of the tabernacle and you would support the work of the temple. It was just what they did and what they were taught, what they were taught to do. So, again, the question is asked in verse uh, 24 to Peter, does your master, does Jesus pay this tribute? So as I look at this, i got some things here with regards to, this is really, again, it's not a fish story, it's an example that Jesus gives you and I with regards to how he handled all of this. So, the first thing is this. This is not, as I mentioned, this is not a... Uh, this is not a civil tax. This is not a tax by the government. But having said that, and having known what else Jesus teaches throughout the Scriptures, that you and I as believers, we're to have respect for civil authority. This is really a, this is really a lesson about authority in many ways. So, we're, we're mindful of that. We're to be mindful of that. In fact, in chapter 22, go to chapter 22 of verse, in verse 15. Here the question is also raised, but in this instance, it's about a civil tribute, not a religious tribute. So this is how Jesus deals with this. Chapter 22 of the book of Matthew, verse 15. Then went the Pharisees and took counsel how they might entangle him in his talk. And they sent out unto him their disciples with the Herodians, saying, Master, we know that thou art true, and teachest the way of God in truth. Neither carest thou for any man, for thou regardest not the person of men. Tell us, therefore, what thinkest thou? Is it lawful to give tribute unto Caesar or not? So here the tribute is to the, to the government. But Jesus perceived the wickedness and said, Why tempt ye me, ye hypocrites? Show me the tribute money. And they brought unto him a penny. And he saith unto them, Whose is this image and superscription? I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that word correctly. Sounds good to you. Sound good to you? Yes. All right. All right. They say unto him, Caesar's. Then saith he unto them, Will render therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. And when they had heard these words, they marveled, and they left him and went their way. So, we're mindful of the fact that you and I, as Christians, uh, with regards to our taxes, now you may not like how much taxes you pay, and if you don't like how much taxes you pay, vote one group out and vote another group in. That's part of how it all works. Um, you know, and uh, I wish I just... I, I'm reading a book called... Um, the Return of George Washington. And it has to do with the years between the end of the Revolutionary War 
and the forming of the Constitution and before Washington became the president. There's an eight-year span there. And, you know, there was a rebellion in our area. Anybody, any, any history buffs here? There was a rebellion in southern Vermont and western Massachusetts. Anybody know what that rebellion was called? Yeah, Shays Rebellion. And anybody know what that rebellion was about? You think you know? Go ahead. Not so much how the government would be formed. Anybody else know? Yes. They opposed the amount of taxation. Yeah. Personal and business. Very good. That was the only class I was good at was history. History, all right. Yeah, there was, so the, at the end of the Revolutionary War, the states were in debt. And uh, that's part of why Washington thought it was so important for there to be a constitution and to bind the states together. Because at the end of the Revolution, the states were all still very independent of one another. And he knew if that, he believed that if that continued, the, the country would break apart. So he was a leading force behind the Constitution and getting the Constitution and binding the, the states together. But the way that they taxed people was unfair in Massachusetts. And uh, so there was a guy by the name of Shea, and they rebelled. And uh, you have not, so that, yeah, you're probably thinking, way that they taxed me. If nothing's changed, right? <laughs> Anyhow, that was Shea's, rebe <laughs> Shea's rebellion. And it was changed. And, uh, but, but, but Washington, he sent troops to put down the rebellion. Um, because he thought, if this succeeds in Massachusetts, there'll be rebellions all over the country. And um, anyhow, uh, that's Shays' Rebellion. But you and I, we do have to remember as Christians that civil authority, the institution of civil authority, has been, it's really a gift of God. And, and sometimes you might think, whoever is leading that civil authority, they're not much of a gift. But the fact of the matter is, the scriptures teach us that. In fact, Romans chapter 13, verse 1, look what it says. I have it on your handout. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Or later on in that same chapter, render therefore to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. So, and by the way, that's why uh, we're, to, we're called to pray for the government of the United States. We're called to pray for our leaders. There is nothing, quite frankly, not to get political, but there is nothing that I, well, maybe I shouldn't say nothing, but almost nothing that I agree with, with the current government of the, the current administration in the United States of America. But I pray for the president. I pray for him. And I pray for him. Let me tell you why. Well, take your Bibles if you wouldn't go to 1 Timothy. First Timothy chapter, well, let me get there, I think it's chapter number 2. First Timothy chapter number 2. Well, here's Paul's instruction to us, or God's instruction to us, really. He says this, I, chapter 2, verse 1, 1 Timothy, I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. 
for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. So that's the instruction that's given to me to pray. Now, if I don't like the administration or I don't like the way the leaders are leading, I pray for them. I pray for God to change their minds. That's what I do. And uh, But we've been instructed. Why? Because it's for our benefit that we could live a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. I pray every now and then for Vladimir Putin and uh, to, for God to change his heart and for him to take those troops and turn them around. I pray for them. All the bloodshed and all the horror and all the deaths that are taking place there, it's sad. Uh, Ethan was telling, or Shelley was telling me that um, his mother-in-law, they're taking in a Ukrainian family uh, that has been uh, uprooted. I was talking to our missionary, um, Lawrence Evans, and where Sally's Kitchen is near the border of Romania and Ukraine, they have Ukrainian refugees coming in constantly. And uh, you look at the news and see what's, oh yeah, I pray, I pray. I don't know, you know, the, the government of Ukraine is, was not exactly the most forthright and honest government either. But I pray, not so much for the governments there, I pray for the people and all the suffering that's taking place there. It's sad. And um, all the deaths that are taking place. But I, I, so one of the things that we learned, because this really, I think this, this little example that Jesus gives is about authority, is that we have a responsibility to respect the authority, even, even at times if we do not always agree with them. Let me give you another example in the Bible. Take your Bibles and turn to the book of Acts, chapter 23. Acts 23. So in Acts chapter 23, the Apostle Paul, he's, under, he's, been, he's been apprehended and he's standing before the high priest in Israel. The high priest in Israel is not a legitimate high priest. He's an illegitimate high priest. And look what happens here. And look how Paul treats him. And Paul, earnestly beholding the council, said, Men and brethren, I lived in all good conscience before God until this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded them that stood by him to smite him on the mouth. Then said Paul unto him, God shall smite thee, thou whited wall, for thou sittest thou to judge me after the law and commandest me to be smitten contrary to the law. So what Paul does is, he, he doesn't know this is the high priest. He rebukes him. He speaks poorly of him. Then said Paul unto him, or, or excuse me, verse 4, And they that stood by said, Revilest thou God's high priest? Then Paul said, I wish not, brethren, that he was the high priest. For it is written, Thou shalt not speak evil of the ruler of thy people. Oh, well, that's interesting. This man's not even the legitimate high priest. And Paul realizes he said something derogatory about this man. And he senses the Holy Spirit speaking to his heart. Thou shalt not speak evil of the ruler of thy people. It's just an example. So, quite frankly, you know, I'm very careful, and you, you can do whatever you f feel fit, but I, I, whether it's the, let's just use the, 
whoever the president is, I may completely disagree with him and everything that he stands for, but he is a ruler that's been placed in power. And so at the very least, I have to respect the office of the presidency of the United States. Because to not do so is to sin against God. To him that knoweth to do right and doeth it not, to them that is sin. So I pray for him. You may not pray for him, and I guess that's your right. And uh, but I pray for all of the leaders in Washington. That's why for several years we would go to Washington. We went into Bernie Sanders' office, and we prayed with the, the staff. of They didn't know what to do with us. We showed up. That was when Bernie was running for president, and the chief of staff was there, and we walked in and said, we'd come, we're from, uh, there were several churches from Vermont, and uh, we'd like to just pray. And we don't want anything. Uh, we, we did bring tracks with us, and we brought John and Romans with us, but we would like to pray. And, and they, the whole office was in a, in a tizzy. They didn't know, <laughs> what's going on here? What's going on? No, no, we just, we just want to sit here, and we just want to pray. Is it, would that be all right? And Bernie wasn't there that day, um, but his chief of staff and others were, and they let us. We did the same thing with um, oh, just, just uh, Richard Neal. Went into his office, and he started to rag on Trump. And so I just looked at him and uh, let him say what he had to say. And like, oh, can you believe this guy? Da, da, da. And he must have thought because we were in his office that we were on his side. And I said to him, Representative Neal, we said something like this, we're really here just to pray for you. He, and he didn't know what to do with that either, except we did. We prayed, and, and, uh, and then we left. And we do that. We did that then, and they still do it now, and, and I haven't been back in years to do it, but we did it for like three years in a row, and there's still a group that does it, and other groups, uh, not just the ones that we were with. So I want to pray for our leaders because I want to live a peaceful life. And things will happen to this country. And probably if you have someone who you don't really care for in office, you ought to pray for them harder, not less. Because they need to change. So you can go back to Matthew chapter 17. So there's an example of authority throughout the Scriptures. There's civil authority that we have to deal with. And uh, the Scriptures talk a lot about that. Some, some months ago, Pastor Ethan did a whole maybe as a year ago, did a whole lesson on Romans chapter 13, but take some time and read through it. It's really great instruction you know, regarding that. But then, as we get back to Matthew chapter 17 and this, this, this whole account that's taking place here, so they ask that question, and now the next scene is, so, so Peter answers, and now he walks into the house where Jesus is. And... Um, Jesus already knows the question has been answered. So there's two possibilities. Either Jesus heard the conversation going on outside, which is a possibility, or the other possibility is Jesus just really knows everything. And he knows, you know, we've seen throughout these miracles, he's known what the people were thinking. So Peter walks in and um, he says, when he walks in in verse 35, um, and when he was come into the house, Jesus prevented him, saying, I think that phrase, Jesus prevented him, like Peter was going to tell him what happened, and, and Jesus just almost stops him and says, Well, what thinkest thou, Simon? Of whom do the kings of the earth take custom or tribute? Of their own children or of strangers? 
So you understand here with what's taking place is uh, Peter or Jesus raises this question to Peter, and he gives an example. Actually, he gives a, a civil example. What about the kings when they when they receive you know their tribute, their tax? The kings do they charge their children to pay the tax? And the answer, of course, would be no. They wouldn't pay their children. They pay the subjects of the kingdom. The children don't ever pay. So that's the point that Jesus is raising here. But he also teaches us this, that there's a lesson that he teaches here with regards to the contribution to the support of public worship. Because as we read through this, look what it says. Peter said unto him of strangers, verse 26, Jesus said unto him, then are the children free. In other words, Peter says, no, if it's the king's children, they don't pay. Well, then then they're free. They, they wouldn't have to pay the tribute. Because to be honest with you, Jesus would not be required. He would probably be the only person on the place of the planet that was not required to pay the tribute. Because he doesn't need a ransom for his soul. And whose house is the tabernacle and then the temple? It's his. That's the point he's making. But he says in verse 27, notwithstanding lest we should offend them, go into the sea and cast out a hook. And I'll get to that in a minute. So I think there's another example that Jesus teaches here with regards to this tribute. He's going to pay the tribute. He doesn't want to offend anyone. Now, if we were to go back just a couple of chapters to chapter 16, and um, where is it? Right about uh, verse number 14, 15, and 16. That's where, Verse 16, that's when Jesus asks them the question, who do men say that I am? Some say you're John the Baptist, some Elias, some Jeremiah. But who do you say that I am? And this is where Peter's confession is. He says, well, you're the Christ. You're the Son of the living God. And so that's been established with Peter and, and perhaps with the other apostles as well. But it hasn't yet been established with many that he's ministering to. That's going to climax later on. People are going to come to that conclusion. So Jesus is here. And uh, again, I'll say more about this in a minute. He doesn't want to offend those that are there because he's, there's something more important, and that's the gospel. But I found it interesting that he's going to give the tribute, and he's going to give the tribute, and I believe it's an example to you and I with regards to supporting the ministry. For instance, on your handout, Paul write this. For it is written in the law of Moses, thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. Doth God take care for oxen, or saith he altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt. This is written, that he that ploweth should plow in hope, and he that thresheth in hope should be partaker of this hope. If we have sown unto you spiritual things, is it a great thing if we shall reap unto you carnal things? And that was when Paul was, was writing to the church in Corinth, and he was teaching them about the work of the ministry, and he was using examples. If you send your oxen out into the field, the oxen needs to eat or the oxen will not be able to produce. And it's the same with the ministry. If, if, if people are involved in the ministry and they're giving their full time to the ministry, then the expectation should be, uh, Paul would say, uh, if we have sown unto you spiritual things, is it a great thing if we should reap your carnal things? Meaning your support, the support of the work of the ministry. And then he would go on later on in 1 Corinthians and say, Now concerning the collection of the saints, as I have given order for the churches of Galatia, even so do ye upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God hath prospered him, 
that be no gatherings when I come. So just like in the Old Testament, there, was, there were many different offerings that could be given, but the tribute that's being referred to here was the money to support the work of the tabernacle and then the temple. And Jesus said that he was going to go ahead and he was going to do that. What I really find interesting, too, is I never really thought about it, the temple at this particular time is corrupt. And Jesus is still going to give to the work of the temple. Remember, it, er, Jesus would go into the temple and he would overthrow overthrow the tables and the money changers. And she said, you've made my house a prayer. My house should be a house of prayer. You've made it a den of thieves. But yet here in this example, he still is going to take the tribute money and he's still going to give it to the temple. And that kind of reminded me of this, that giving really, all giving primarily, isn't first and foremost to the local church. It's given through the local church, but it's given to God. It's given to him. And Jesus says here, we're going to go ahead and we're going to do this. We're going to do this. Matthew Henry, one of my favorite Bible writers, said this about this text. If Christ pays the tribute, who can pretend then to be exempt? Get that? If, if Christ here is paying a tribute, and he's even paying a tribute to a temple that's corrupt in his eyes, who then can be exempt? In other words, he's saying we all have a responsibility to support the work of the ministry. It's part of the plan of God. But then lastly, we see Christ's authority here. Because again, he is the only one who ever could possibly say, I really don't have, he doesn't really have to give. It's his house. It's his house. Christ is the Son of God. He's the heir of all things. The temple is His temple. And He could assert His authority, the Son of God. But making sure that Peter understands, and He gives Peter this example, I think, to make sure that Peter understands, listen, Peter, I, as the Messiah, have a right not to give this tribute, but we're going to give this tribute because I don't want to offend people in such a way that it would turn them off from the message of the Gospel. In fact, I think I put on your handout John 2.16, and he said unto them, Take these things hence, make not my father's house a house of merchandise. So I put that verse there for two reasons. One, to remind us that the temple was corrupt at that time, but the other reason is, even though it was corrupt, it was still God's house. But then the whole idea, he didn't want to offend people. And I thought about that, and uh, this is, we haven't even got to the fish yet. He's careful. Jesus teaches us careful. Now, there are times that Jesus would go to the priests and say, you are whited sepulchers. And there are times that, you know, sometimes the truth may be offensive. In fact, Paul would write that the preaching of the gospel uh, can sometimes be offensive to people. But I think that we should be careful that we don't go out of our way to offend people, to turn them off from hearing the gospel. And to be a stumbling block. Paul would write in Romans chapter 14, let us therefore judge one another anymore, but judge this rather that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. Jesus here is not going to be a stumbling block. 
And the great example is in 1 Corinthians, we're running out of time, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 4 through 9, that's the temple, and that's the meat that was offered unto idols, and certain people said we shouldn't eat the meat, certain people said we should eat the meat. Uh, and by the way, chap Romans chapter 14 is a great chapter on, just to, just read through that, if you wanted to kind of put a title on it, is what do Christians do when they disagree? Read through, read through Romans chapter 14, it gives you the entire, it just lays, lays it right out, you know, I think it starts, some, it starts there. Some Christians, Paul wrote, believe that they should just be vegetarians. Some Christians believe that they should just eat meat. Some Christians believe that they, should, they, they shouldn't uh, have special holy days. Some, people, some Christians believe it's okay to have special holy days. And he goes right down the list there. And how do you deal with all of this? Just read Romans chapter 14. But Jesus is... is giving us a, some, just some great examples here of how we deal with people and the importance of dealing with people. And so, then, hence the miracle here. He goes and tells Peter, well, listen, we need, we need some money. So, and by the way, they had money. They had, they had um, uh, the other disciples. Uh, Judas was the treasurer, and so they had money, but he wasn't going to use that money for whatever reason, I'm not sure. But he says, go down and, uh, and remember that they're in Capernaum, so they're on the sea there. Go down and go fishing. Cast a hook into the, into the sea and uh, catch a fish. And uh, when the fish comes up, open his mouth, and you're going to find a piece of money in the fish. So did God miraculously put that piece of money in the fish? Or did the fish, maybe somebody dropped a coin and... You know, that's, I'm, not, I'm no fisherman, but isn't that pretty much how a leader works, right? A flashy leader, the fish grabs that over the, the, the flashiness of the leader. Could have been either way, right? Isn't that pretty much how it works? So inside this fish, there's a coin. So either way, you know, one would be the omnipotence of God. God can do anything he wants. He could put a piece of coin in that fish's mouth. But the other point would be, it would be the omniscience of God that he would know that that fish at some point swallowed a coin and in that fish there was a coin. I mean, it does say in the Bible that God knows the very numbers of hairs upon our head. So it just shows you that he's aware of all things, even the most minute things. And um, so Peter goes fishing, catches the fish and there's a coin. And it just happens to be enough to cover for both Peter and Jesus in the tribute. Wow, what a coincidence. Not really. Jesus knew all along. Because he's in control of all of these things. So, that's what takes place, and he, and he pays, pays it here. But as I read through this, you know, I've read this before, and I thought, well, this is a fish story. And it's not really a fish story, it's about authority. We're taught throughout the scriptures about civil authority and how we're supposed to react to civil authority. We're taught throughout the scriptures about the church and the authority of, of, that Jesus has given the church. And, the, and just like in the Old Testament, the tribute, in the New Testament, the tribute, the responsibility we have to finance the work of the Lord. And then we're about Christ's authority on our lives of being used by him to preach the gospel and bring people to Christ. So in the end, I guess the question would be, so the title of this is Paying Tribute. That's how, what I'd leave you with. Are you and I paying tribute 
And I'm not talking about financial tribute. Well, that was all part of the lesson. I'm just talking about are we paying tribute with our lives? How we live, how we treat people, how we recognize the scriptures. Uh, do we pick and choose what we want to believe and put into practice? Or just as Jesus said, whose image is on the coin? And he said, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Well, whose image is on your life and my life? If it's Christ's image, then we ought to heed the scriptures. And by living a life that's pleasing to him, we're paying tribute unto him. That makes sense? Amen? That's my lesson for today. Let's pray. Father God, bless the morning worship service. Let it bring honor and glory unto you. Be with Ethan as he preaches. Be with the junior church workers as they minister to the young hearts. If any be here today that has never received Christ as their Savior, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd, that you'd just bring conviction to their heart, that you'd help them to realize without Christ there is no hope. In Jesus' name, amen.